following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. Let's go ahead and read the passage and then we'll go back and unpack it a little bit. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's. But now, after you've known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements, to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not inquired me at all. Uh, You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. In my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Earlier in our study of this book, back in chapter 2, Paul talked about being a hypocrite. He referred to Peter and said Peter was playing the role of a hypocrite. Uh, He talked about several others who were playing one way whenever Paul was around them, but they would go back to playing with the crowd when he was no longer with them. So it kind of swings in the opposite direction in tonight's passage. The term zealot or zealous comes up. There are zealous Christians needed in the church today. And I think that's what Paul is trying to encourage the church at Galatia here. Where is your zealousness? What are you zealous over? What if here in Morgan City, First Baptist Church became the place where the zealous Christians hung out? What if First Baptist Church became known as a place where there were charismatic Christians who were really on fire and engaged in their relationship with the Lord? What would it take for someone to call you a religious zealot. Those are some of the things we're going to explore tonight. We're going to look at the profile of a zealot based on what we see here in this passage. So the Greek word for zealous is the word zelu. It means to set one's heart on something, to be deeply committed to something. And in this context and with that definition, would someone right now Consider you to be a zealous, a zealot for the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we think of someone that is extremely zealous over something? 
Do we just label them as a fanatic and go on about our business? Are we threatened by that particular person? Are we jealous of their level of interest and commitment? Are we curious about what makes them so dedicated to the thing that they love? Or do we simply think that that person has gone off the deep end? D.L. Moody had this to say. He said, a man can have enthusiasm in everything else, but the moment that a little fire gets into the church, people raise the cry, ah, enthusiasm, false excitement. I'm afraid of that. And I'm afraid that when someone gets on fire for the Lord, that's the thing that we typically do. We try to throw a bucket of water on it and extinguish it as fast as we can. And unfortunately, this is most likely why we don't have zealous Christians in the church today. Because their fire is quickly extinguished by the ritualistic skeptics. The Apostle Paul gives a warning about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. He says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God of Christ Jesus in you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. What if 2024 would be the year that you say, I want to be more zealous about my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul points it out here. He, he kind of uses it as a two-edged sword. He said these, these Judaizers who are coming in, trying to proselytize you, that their zealousness uh, is not worth anything. But he says, on the other hand, it is good to be zealous on a good thing always. What are you zealous over right now? What is it that really drives you and motivates you? And would you consider yourself to be a zealous Christian? Now, the antonym for that, the opposite of the word zealous, is conservative or moderate, which probably most of us are more on a moderate level playing field in our faith, in our religion, in our devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. But we see people from other religions, other denominations, other worldviews who are very, very zealous about what they believe in. Even though it's false, even though it's not biblically correct, we see their zealousness as maybe threatening. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at here. So when you look at the profile of a zealot, and he goes on, uh, there's another letter, the letter to Titus that the Apostle Paul wrote. He speaks of zealousness here. This word zealous or zealot is not found uh, frequently throughout the Bible. There are certain places where it's found at. Paul uses it quite a bit in his writings. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, 
righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And I think to a certain degree, God really wants us to be zealous about our endeavors and his work, in our work for his kingdom. The profile of a zealot, what does it mean to be a zealot? When you say that someone is a religious zealot, when they are on the fire, when they are someone who is completely devoted to what they believe in, what type of profile? Do you ever profile anybody? (laughs) I know I do. You can tell by their body language. You can tell by the way they dress. You can tell by the way they talk. You can kind of profile someone and get a basic understanding of who they are and what they believe in. I think the Apostle Paul lays out somewhat of a profile of a zealot here in this passage. Several questions you need to ask yourself when you're looking at someone and determining whether they are a zealot or not. Number one, what deity do they worship? What deity do they worship? In verses 8 through 9, Paul says, But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's little G. But now after you have known God, big G, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements? What deity do they worship? Paul said you served and worshiped another God at one point in time, but now you know the God that I know. You now know the God that I serve. Not only do you know him, but He knows you as well. And that in turn is worthy of our worship of God, knowing that he knows us. You think of all the other world religions and the deities that they bow down to. Islam worships Allah. Buddhism, they they worship Buddha. Some worship material things. One thing to keep in mind through all of this is that we're not out to win an argument. We're not out to disprove some other world religion. We're not out to disprove another person's beliefs. You're not out to prove the error of their religion. But what you are out to prove, you're out to prove and defend the zeal of your own beliefs. Listen to what they have to say. Try to get their train of thought. What brought them to that religion? What brought them to that belief? What brought them to that worldview? Give them the time. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Not that you're going to fall into their beliefs, but you want them to be able to listen to you the same way that you have listened to them. And when they get through explaining to you about their beliefs, you can then say, okay, Let me introduce you to the God that I know. Not only the God that I know, but the God that knows me as well. Because Christianity is the only world religion where the deity wants to have a relationship with his worshiper. One pivotal point that Paul makes here is this. We don't serve a God that we can only know, but we serve a God that knows us. He knows us inside and out. He knows our heart. He knows our thoughts. 
Jesus even went to, as far as to say that he even has the very hairs of your head numbered. And earlier, last week or last time we got to study this in chapter 4, he even had a relationship with God as his Abba Father, the most intimate term that a child can use referring to his parent. That's the connection that Paul wanted to make with this church in Galatia. That's the connection that he wanted them to make with this God that they served. Not only do you know him, but he knows you as well. And now you can know him as your Abba Father, your Daddy Daddy. So worship here to Paul was more than just a homage. Worship to a zealot goes far beyond a general knowledge. Paul stated in Philippians 3, chapter 10, uh, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, here's how he wanted to know the Lord. Here's how he wanted his relationship to deepen with the Lord. He says, I want to know him in a way that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul didn't just want to know a general knowledge. He didn't just want to know a head knowledge. But he said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to have the fellowship of his sufferings. Why did he suffer for me the way that he did? And I want to be conformed to his death as well. Earlier in the book of Galatians, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and died for me. That's the level Paul wanted to know Jesus Christ and his Abba Father. So if someone were to refer to you as a zealot, could you and would you express to them the depth of your understanding of who God is? And could you prove to them that it's not just a religion, but it's a relationship? Could you do that? Verse 9, Paul makes a statement that they have turned again to things that keep them in bondage. If you've never been labeled as a religious zealot, if you've never been labeled as a person who is deeply committed into your walk with the Lord, maybe there are some habits that you keep turning to again and again and again that restrict you from being on that level from being that deep in a relationship with the Lord. What are some habits that you continuously turn to that inhibit your ability to truly worship the Lord? Because when you first look at someone as a zealot, when you profile someone and you consider them a a zealot, their level of worship is probably the first thing that you need to look at. And what is it actually do they worship? The next thing you need to look at it, if you're profiling someone as a zealot, not only the deity that they worship, but number two, what practices or rituals do they observe? Verses 10 and 11, the Apostle Paul says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. He says, I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. You know that one of the common themes in the book of Galatians is Paul's teaching on the law. 
What importance does it have to the child of God? How strictly should we adhere to it? And that's what he's referring to here. He says, you practice all the things that you're supposed to practice. You practice rituals. You observe all the ordinances of the law. Paul is letting them know that they're not alone. Paul says, I used to practice these very same things. The very things he's pointing out here are the very things he himself practiced prior to meeting Jesus. So if a zealot attempts to earn favor with their deity by practicing certain rituals, then they do not serve the God of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 says this. It makes it perfectly clear. It says it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. In other words, your sacrifices, your adherence to ordinances, all of those things that you try to do with your own two hands, those are not what saves you. Paul says because you continue to observe these things, because you continue to think they have some salvific purpose, I'm afraid for you because if that's what you're depending upon, then everything that I've done is all for naught. I've wasted my breath. Paul even goes as far to say in verse 11 that if the Galatian churches are counting on their practices, then he has labored in vain. So when you think about some of the other world religions and the things that they adhere to, Islam has its five pillars. It has the creeds that they need to adhere to, their prayer times each and every day. I, I admire their devotion on this, not just once, not just twice, multiple times a day at specific times. They spend time in prayer because they think it has some type of salvific purpose to it. The five pillars are the creeds that they adhere to, their praying, their charity, their almsgiving, fasting, and their privilege, uh, pilgrimage to Mecca. So in and of them, uh, in and of themselves, there is nothing wrong with these practices, but they completely remove the element of God's grace. That's what Paul's pointing out here. He says, you, you, you practice these things. You observe these things. My hat's off to you. I admire that, but that is not what saves you. So when you profile someone and you want to look at them, they, they are zealous about what they do. You need to look real closely at the rituals and the practices that they observe. Why are they doing it? Are they doing it out of obligation? Do they think that there's some power to salvation in those? Or do they do it because they have a sincere love for the God that they serve? Next thing you need to look at is this, is who are they attempting to imitate? Who are they attempting to imitate? Role models. Growing up, who is your hero? Who, who did you look up to? Maybe it was some musician. Maybe it was some sports star. Maybe it was some movie star. Who was someone maybe that you were around physically that had a profound impact on your walk with Jesus Christ? Who was it that influenced you to make your decision to trust in Jesus Christ and to be a follower of him? 
Better yet, are you zealous enough for the Lord in a way that you would tell someone, here's how you overcome that obstacle that's in your way. Here's how you can get better at that spiritual discipline. Come follow me and watch me. Here's what I've learned. Imitate the things that I have done to overcome this particular obstacle. I see that you keep turning back into this same thing over and over again like he wrote earlier in the chapter. You turn again to the weak and beggarly elements. Let me show you how to avoid that. Imitate what I have done to overcome that. Now ultimately we're to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. But our actions, our spiritual disciplines, they should be a reflection of that. Someone should be able to look at us and see Jesus. After all, the word Christian actually means a little Christ. We ought to be a Christ-like person that others can look at. But when you look at someone, maybe profiling them as a zealot, that's the thing that you need to ask. Who are they attempting to imitate? Is there some area that you would be okay with someone imitating you? Or is there an area that you would not want someone imitating in your life? Maybe in 2024, there's an area that you can become more zealous about that would be an example for someone to possibly imitate. Become better at that spiritual discipline. Paul could honestly say, become like me, because his desire was to become more like Jesus Christ. His desire was in some way to get the eyes of the Galatian churches off the proselytizing Judaizers and on Jesus, even if they had to look to Paul first as a role model. And you'll have to remember, when when we're reading this, he's not sitting there face-to-face with them. He's writing them a letter because he's heard something was going on. He's heard that there's something that he needs to help them correct. And he's saying, hey, your attention is in the wrong place. Look, Look here for just a minute. Remember what I showed you when I was there. Remember what I taught you. Remember what I preached when I was there. Don't look at what all these false teachers are bringing in, but look at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and imitate him. Their reception of Paul from the beginning is commended. He he states in verse 14 uh, that when he came, when he first came to them, uh, he said that they received me as an angel, even as Christ Jesus So they saw something in Paul the minute he got there. Something that he did, his characteristics, his speech, his teaching, whatever it was, they saw something in him that they treated him differently than anyone else. He said, you you treated me with the utmost respect. You knew that there was something different about me. And he said, now what I've shown you and what I've taught you, you need to imitate that to avoid going back to those desires that are bringing you down. 
So verse 14 points out, he said, you treated me like an angel, even as Jesus Christ. So when you start thinking about who wrote these books, there's some books in the Bible where the author is not identified. Of course, God wrote all of them. He told the authors what to write and how to write it, when to write it, what to say. But the human authors sometimes aren't identified. The book of Hebrews is a good example of that. The human author is never identified. But I think this statement here makes a pretty good argument that either Paul or Luke wrote the book of Hebrews. Paul refers to them treating him as an angel, their hospitality. Uh, they treated him as someone important. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1-2 says this. It says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Hmm. Somewhat the same language. Is there a connection there? Possibly. But the point that the Apostle Paul is making here, he says, I've given you an example I've given you something to imitate. I've tried my best to be a role model. And I think for us to be considered a religious zealot, I think we would have to have a lifestyle that was up to that role model, that example level at some point in time. We would have to be a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ in his image where we can point to others, look, I'm not perfect, but here's some things that I've overcome in my life. If it helps you out, let's make these steps together. Let's go through this together. And I'm going to give you maybe an example of how you can overcome that. So point number four, as we move on through this chapter. If you're profiling a zealot, several things to look at. What deity do they worship? What practices or rituals do they observe? Is there someone that they're attempting to imitate? Now, I think the next question you would have to ask is this. Are they very influential? Are they an influencer? Do they have an impact on people when they meet them? Do they have a long-lasting relationship with people that influences them for the cause of Christ? So Paul is making a direct reference here to the false teachers in that area. He says, they zealously court you but for no good. He says they're trying their best to influence you, but their cause is not worth it. He's saying they are being very influential in their acts and their attempts to serve you, but actually they want to exclude you. He says they want you to be zealous for them, not for the God that they claim to serve. So he's making a direct reference here to the false teachers in that area. The Judaizers were attempting to win over the Galatian churches, but their intentions were not good. And obviously, they only did it when Paul was around. He says, but it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. He says, these false teachers are putting on a show. These are the hypocrites that I referred to earlier in this letter. They act one way when I'm around and they act a totally different way when I'm not around. You need to be aware of these people and the influence that they are trying to create. 
So why does Paul mention this? Because zealous Christians are always looking to be like Jesus. And part of that aspect is actually serving others. A religious zealot, a zealous Christian is looking for one thing and one thing only. They're looking to win lost souls for the kingdom of God. They are looking to win souls by being the hands and feet of Jesus. Paul says these false teachers, they're zealous, but it's not for a good thing. And they're only doing it when I'm around. If someone wants to really influence you, how do they do it? You think about what my comment earlier, who, who is it that you attempted to imitate? Who is it that really influenced your life? Who was it that was a role model for you and how did they do it? Was it always by what they sat down and discussed with you? Or did you get to watch them walk through their life? Did you get to watch them walk through some difficult times? Did you get to see how they handled certain situations? Did you observe and learn more from that than you did from the actual words that they spoke? Did their actions have influence in your life? I want to make one thing perfectly clear right here. I I want to influence people. And I want you to influence people as well. But I'm not here to make church members. I'm not here to increase attendance here in this church. I want to see lost folks get saved. I want to be an influencer for the kingdom of God. Not for First Baptist Church. Not for the Southern Baptist Convention. Not for the Louisiana Baptist Convention. Not for the Gulf Coast Baptist Association. But I want to influence people for the kingdom of heaven. Period. (laughs) I don't want to make proselytes. I want to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus had a stern warning about going out and doing church swapping, trying to get one member of a church to come over to your church. Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. He goes as far as to say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. What is a proselyte? A proselyte is a person who is converted from one opinion, religion, or party to another. They have just shifted a little bit. Their beliefs hasn't changed. The way they live their life really hasn't changed a whole lot. And in Acts chapter 13, verse 43 We see Paul and Silas, they're at Antioch, and they have a group following them. And it says, many Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, but they persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. They didn't say, hey, come be with our group. Hey, come join this church. They said, you need to seek out what the grace of God really is. 
so that you too can become a child of God and a citizen of heaven. Are you zealous enough right now as a Christian that your lifestyle influences others for Christianity or against Christianity? And I think about this. I don't know if you keep up with it or not, but they actually have people right now that are social media influencers. I don't even know what all that entails, but they make these little videos. They try to see how many followers they can get on Facebook or Instagram or whatever other social media site they may use. They're not looking to win people for the Lord Jesus Christ. They're just looking to see how much attention they can bring to themselves. And that's exactly what these false teachers were doing. That's exactly what these Judaizers were doing. They were trying to put the spotlight on themselves. But the Apostle Paul says, no, you, you need to put the spotlight on the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be zealous about something, but you need to make sure that you're zealous about the right thing. He says it's good to be zealous if it's for a good thing. But these false teachers, they're zealous about the wrong thing. And the final thing that you need to look at that we see in this passage, if you're profiling someone as a zealot, or if you're trying to fit into the profile of a zealot, last question, do they have a mentor? Do they have a mentor? When you think about the other world religions, uh, Islam has Muhammad. He received the word from Allah. Now he is mentoring all these other followers. Buddhism has the Dalai Lama. They've had several of those throughout their history. Mormonism had Joseph Smith. He was a mentor of many others who learned under him. And for one of the rare instances here, Paul refers to the Galatian churches as my little children. You just don't see the Apostle Paul using this term very frequently. Verse 19, he says, My little children for whom I labored in birth again until Christ is formed as you. Kind of like that parable that Jesus used in John 16 this morning. He said, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone for I have doubts about you. What is a mentor? Do you consider yourself to be a mentor? Are you zealous enough to go out and find someone that you can pour into each and every day? Someone that you can labor over and say, I, I, I've helped form you into the person that Jesus wants you to be. One of the rare instances, Paul uses the term my little children in a group that he labored in birth. The only other letter uh, where this actual term is used, the only other apostle to use it is John. John writes in all three of his letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He uses the term over and over and over again, whether it's a church, whether it's a group, whether it's a region. uh, We're not real sure, but he says my little children every time he writes in his letter. Here's a good example. First John chapter three, verses 18 through 19. John writes this. He says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. And by this, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. 
Paul is saying, I would love to be with you right now. You, you've poured into me. You received me as an angel. Something must have been wrong with his vision because he says, even if you, if you would have been able to, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. We have become that close. He says, but right now I'm in prison. I'm writing this letter. He said, I would love to be present with you right now. As your mentor, I would like to be there to just sit down and talk with you. As my little children, those that I've given spiritual birth to. He said, but if I was here, it wouldn't be nice because I would change my tone just a little bit to get my point across. But through this letter, I can't change my tone. I can't emphasize exactly what I need to say. So as your mentor, I'm going to write it the best that I can. Because here's the reason. He spoke truth into them. He's being super critical about their situation. And as he closes out this part of this passage, he says, I have doubts about you. Here's the true sign of a mentor. A mentor is someone who can be super critical in a loving way. A mentor is someone who can change their tone or their voice inflection just a little bit to really get their point across. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He's mentoring them. He's pouring into them. He's saying, look, I, I can't scream and shout at you. I can't talk in an unloving way right now. He said, but I can let you know that if I was there, I would change my tone to get my point across because I have some doubts about you. You're still observing the days and the months. You think these ordinances that you follow and have some type of power for the gospel, but they don't. You're still being influenced by these zealous Judaizers. Don't fall for that. He said, as your mentor, let me help you through this situation. Just remember, as you're reading through this letter, this isn't the first letter that Paul wrote to a church that had gone astray. This isn't the first or only church that Paul dealt with. This is not the only church that he helped establish. And it's not the only church he continued to mentor. He knew the challenges of a new church. He knew the hazards of leaving them for a short period of time. He says, but even while I'm away, even at a distance, I can still help mentor you because I hear some things are going on that aren't right. He says, I want you to be zealous in your relationship with the Lord. I want you to be zealous over your worship of the Lord. I want you to be zealous over the things that you do observe. Make sure that they have significance. I want you to be zealous over who you imitate. Don't imitate the Judaizers. Imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's why. Because I want you to be influential in your region. I want people to look at the church of Galatia is what he's writing. He says, and I want the church of Galatia to be known for its zealous love of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's challenging them in a way. Part of being a mentor 
is being able to challenge someone to live up to their potential. I've mentioned several times we're on a mini-series right now. We're watching Master Chef. Uh, we love it. I mean, we, I never thought that I would follow. We're on, what, season 11 now, I think it is? 13. And uh, it, I've cooked some different things since I've been watching it. Jordan's cooked some different things. Marcy, uh still got a little work to do on her to get her up to the Master Chef level, but she's getting there. She's eating more. She's experimenting with more foods. But but one of the parts of being in, on this show is they take certain people that have qualifications that need to be met. They have potential. And what they do is they pour into that person while they're on the show. Not only do they encourage them when they cook something that is phenomenal. They say, hey, your plating is good. It, it looks phenomenal. This looks like something I would serve in one of my restaurants. But there's sometimes when somebody brings something up there, they say, uh-uh. let me help you and correct you. This, this looks bad. It really does. That's part of being a mentor is being honest and being honest in a way that will form someone and help promote their potential to being what they actually could be. And a lot of people who have gotten kicked off of this show, just about every episode, somebody leaves the show because they didn't leave, live up to the master chef level. But every one of those people that exits the show, they say this. They said, it's been rough. It's been challenging. But I have learned so much. I feel like I have become a better chef because of what you have told me and because of what I've learned during this competition. And that's basically the way it is. When someone comes in here, we don't necessarily need to pick them apart. We don't need to be super critical. But we need to do like Paul sometimes. We need to change our tone just a little bit say, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, that's not what a Christian should be doing. And if you really want to be zealous in your love of the Lord, if you really want to be zealous in your service through the church and for the Lord Jesus Christ, here's how you do it. Let me help mentor you and mold you and shape you. Labor in birth to bring you to where you need to be. Let, let me consider, to consider you to be my spiritual child for a short period of time. And let me help form you into what God wants you to be. That's what being a mentor is all about. So who are you challenging right now? Who is it that you have your eyes on? Who is, who is it that you see potential in right now that could do something great for the kingdom of God? Hey, we might have the next D.L. Moody right here in our own congregation. We might have the next Billy Graham. We might have the next worship leader. You just never can tell what God is going to do with someone when they step foot in this church. And until we're really zealous about our relationship with the Lord, we won't be able to see that potential that God has. If you're zealous about making disciples, you won't hesitate to reach out to someone and encourage them on a frequent basis. That's what Paul is doing as he writes this letter. He's not being super critical. He's being loving about it. But he's being honest. He's giving them a gut check. 
they're bringing him a plate of food and he's saying, uh-uh, this looks bad. <laughs> this is terrible. I wouldn't eat this. I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. But let me show you how to correct this. Let me show you how to make it taste better. Let me show you how to make it look better. He said, let me show you how to become zealous in your walk with the Lord. If I have to change my tone just a little bit to get your attention, that's what I'm going to do. If I have to write you another letter, that's probably what I'll do. If you remember the book of Corinthians, we have first and second Corinthians, but most people think that that was a correspondence of several letters. Most people think it's parts one, two, and three. There were some churches that he really had issues with, and he wrote them several letters. Look, what what would Paul say about us right now if he wrote a letter to us? Would it be good? Would it be encouraging? Would it be constructive? Would it be highly critical? Or would he say, you are a zealous church in everything that you do? I can see that there's a passion inside of you that I don't see in most churches. I can see that you love to pray and that you take prayer seriously. But the number one thing I would want the Apostle Paul to say about us is that you're a soul-winning church. You go after lost people. You don't mind spending the extra money to reach the lost. You don't mind spending the extra time to reach the lost. You don't mind doing a little bit of extra planning and maybe going out of your way to bring people into the kingdom. I can see that you're zealous about what you do in this community. Blaise Pascal had this to say about being zealous. He says, that passion may not harm us, but let us act as if we only had eight hours to live. We're just a few hours away from wrapping up 2023. What if this were your last few hours to live for the Lord? How zealous would you be then if you knew that you were up against a timeline? Because let me tell you this, we are up against a timeline. You probably believe, just like I do, I I believe that we are close to the Lord's return. I think the clock is rapidly ticking, and I think we're on borrowed time right now. Let's make the best of every minute that we have in this coming year. And be as zealous as we possibly can. And see how many people we can influence in this community for the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this evening thanking you so much for this incredible letter that we have from the Apostle Paul to the church of Galatia. And Lord, let us take to heart every word that's in it. We may not understand it right away. It may not make a lot of sense to us at the moment. But God, if we would truly get a pulse on what the Apostle Paul is saying to this church, I believe we would realize that we have a lot in common. And I pray, Lord God, that you would raise up people who are zealous in their relationship with the Lord. I pray that you'd raise up people who desire to be more zealous in their walk with Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord God, The First Baptist Church would be a place 
that is on fire for the Lord. I just pray, Lord God, that our worship I pray, Lord God, that our worship would not be ritualistic. But I just pray, Lord God, that there would be a freedom and a liberty here to worship. With all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Lord, your word tells us that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And Lord, I don't want some cookie cutter Christianity. I want to be a church that makes disciples, that makes disciples, and that just continues to make disciples. I want us to be a church, Lord God, that is constantly sending people out into the mission field, here in our own community and maybe around the world. So, Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to mentor people. How to pour our lives into them, Lord God. How to be the role models that our youth need. How to be as close of an imitation of the Lord Jesus Christ as possible in our words and in our deeds. I pray, Lord God, that our love for each other, like I saw this morning, when we all got together and fellowshiped and greeted one another, Lord God, I pray that that would be infectious. I pray that it would be something, Lord God, that would just be contagious. And I pray, Lord God, that others in this community would know us by our love that we have for each other. And above all else, our love that we have for you and serving you. We just thank you for the great year that we've had, Lord God. We've seen some uh, major improvements We've seen your hand at work in mighty ways, Lord God. And that just leaves me to believe, Lord God, that the best is yet to come. As we set our sights on 2024, Lord God, give us a vision. Give us a plan. And lead us, Lord God, in the areas that we need to explore. Help us to be obedient, Lord God, in the things that we're somewhat hesitant on. And I pray above all else, Lord God, you would raise up a group of people that just desire to serve you and win this community for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we just ask it all in the most powerful name that we know, that name that is above every other name, that name at which every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. His name is Jesus. We just ask it all in his mighty and powerful name. And everybody said, Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.